I am State Farm Agent Rob Renz, and I want to help you get to a better place. Visit us online at ilminsurance.com. That's ilminsurance.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome to the Veteran Business Collective Podcast. I am Chase Roth, and I am here with Rob Renz. What? Rob, it's nice to meet you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's good to meet you, too. It's the very first time we've ever been in the Did same room together. you have a hard time together. finding the studio today? I, it was, I made a wrong turn on North 23rd. I got confused somewhere between 16th and 17th. Yeah. No idea where It I happens. Am. Did you end up in the in the tattoo shop first? I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. Any ink on the way through? No, I I said I'm here for my appointment, and they, you know, shuttled me to a chair, and I suddenly, I was very, very confused. I said, oh, I'm here to do a podcast. And they're like, oh, no, you got to go upstairs. Upstairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always leave that out of the direction. Yeah. Oh, man. It's okay. You know what we should do is we should talk to them down there and be like, hey, if anybody accidentally comes to your studio or to your tattoo studio, Mm -hmm. you give us a 25% discount on on tattoos. You know what I mean? Like we can get all inked up and and we can have all these happy accidents in the the tattoo shop. We'll get extra business out of it. Everybody wins. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. I don't see why that wouldn't be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, it, it's funny because we're actually in your studio right yeah, now. Yeah. So this is the Signal Fire studio. This is the people's studio. The people's studio. This is, is the it? people's is studio. Is yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sounds a bit socialist to me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it is. But, you know, it, it, to bring a very valid point to the conversation, when, you and, when I told you that I was first doing this, um, you know, you were, I think, maybe skeptical at first. We didn't know each other that well. No, the first time I heard about it was I think the second time we had ever spoke. Okay, at the Marine Corps birthday at that thing. Birthday thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had just I had just gotten the like the the uh, uh, LLC the Articles of Incorporation back like the day before. Yeah, and so yeah. like it had just been made official. So yeah, that was maybe the second. Yeah, because we, we had coffee. We had coffee yep. once, yep. and then we met there, and we had we had talked about uh, planning the first VBC meeting. Right. Uh, but we hadn't done it yet because yep. we, we invited all those folks that were at the birthday thing we were at to yeah. go to it and everything. So we hadn't even had that one yet. So it was literally the second time we'd seen each other. That sort of seems like a lifetime ago, man. It seems like a way long time. Because that was the winter of 2020. So that was like beginning of the pandemic now that we've known it's gone on for two-ish plus years. But, yeah, it's man, that could be a fun episode, us just unpacking all the stuff that's happened since then in our, in our community. It's but, been a lot, man. We've, but, we've all done way more than we probably needed to in the last couple yeah. of years but it's been it's been cool man but yeah that was the you made that announcement at the uh the marine corps cake cutting ceremony at tilia fiduciary yep. partners yep. shout uh, out to ryan casey ryan casey there. hosted it um and it's been full steam since then and now here we are sitting in, yeah. in your your studio um what I re- signifier Steve on oh, the wall. Steve, Steve on the wall, who now Crap. comes off the wall. It comes off the yeah, wall. Yeah, so we can put our clients, yeah. our, our clients' I'll, little I'll backdrops have, and logos to, there. I'll see about getting a VBC one made. But you Let's know, do I, it. I like, I like the signifier Steve. I know. I think I'm going to keep them. Yeah, I mean, what, what the, you know, the point that I was, I was going to make was that, like, we formed this, we started this thing in December of 2020, call it, and, you know, I remember talking to you and some of the other leaders in our community and like I was trying to sell you on why it was that I wanted to do it. And that's why I, I sincerely call this the people studio, 
because I was very – and you and I, Chase, have talked about the veteran narrative many, many, many times and how it, it, we can either control it or we can be controlled by it. Right. And, and when I told you like, yeah, I want to have, have a podcast here and I want to bring other people in to it like it's a network, you know, and, and, and we needed a place to be able to do that here locally. And now mm-hmm. if you kind of look – at, at we've got the VBC podcast, we've got Signal Fire Radio still going. Uh, you know, Nick Smith, another co-founder and former guest of this podcast, has the Geo Owl podcast. Tim Howard has Reflect the Life You Want. Like we do that work for all these people, and all of these people are veterans, and so they're all out there telling their story, building their own brand, and creating and shaping the veteran narrative in the direction that you and I think it should be going. Right, because all those people you just mentioned, one. They're all really good dudes. Yeah. They're good people. Yep. They're veterans, and they're all rock stars. Yeah. Oh, and I, I forgot about our newest one, uh, Jody Fletcher and Morgan Lattimore, that oh, L word. yeah, huge. Yeah, I mean, huge. such a huge fan of Jody and, and have had one conversation with Morgan. Uh, well, that's not true. We've had multiple conversations since then, but hadn't talked to him until he came on Signal Fire Radio. That was the first conversation we had, and I was like, this dude is dynamic. He's going to make a real impact, and him and Jody kind of just being like that. That They've got a good chemistry. Great. Yin yeah. and yang sort of thing between the two of them. But there's another example of like the 8 to 10 that are right here in southeastern North Carolina where we all we all did military. We have that in common, but something different in the mm-hmm. military across the board. And now either own companies, run companies, or, <clears throat> you know, produce our significant producers for the for a company. And, and we get to tell their story. Right here in the People's Studio, multiple times a month, and that really yeah, is exciting cool. to me. It's yeah. very cool, and I it, that controlling the veteran narrative uh, aspect of it is, I think it's important, right? And and to say control it uh, makes it sound like we're up to something, yeah, you know, untowards or whatever. But it's not the case. It's 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 like with any any sort of. Uh, you know, spe- specialized group or uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say. People hijack mm-hmm. things. Yeah. It's not like the veteran thing is a movement of sorts or anything like that. We've always been around. Right. We'll always be around. But people hijack it for their own purposes and for their own gain, and they try and manipulate the narrative and the story to suit their own political agenda, right. perhaps, right. Uh, their own fundraising thing. Um Matt was on, and we talked about this ad I saw. I'm not going to go into it again because the listeners don't need to hear the whole story again. <laughs> but it was it was a business that was you know using the veteran angle to sell their product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you have a lot of that yeah. going on, and there's a lot of misinformation, and and a lot of times veterans can be characterized in a an unfavorable way that they're all broken and their their uh, their their life is just a plight of um, negative. Yeah you know, whatever. And it's not the case. Well, there's data to support you that know? too. I, there was a, there was a study that was done. And I believe for all of you who, who check my sources, I promise you I'll find them before I, we, we publish this. It'll be in the show notes, but I believe it was uh, in it done by the VA research done by the VA. And they pulled a couple thousand people. And they said, when you meet a veteran in the, in the job place in in the office, uh, what do you consider them to be? And literally Perfect bifurcation of the data. 50% said we see these people as victims. The other 50% said we see these people as heroes. I know you and me don't see ourselves as either one of those things. No, not at all. And we're two veterans 
So, so the, everyone's got the narrative wrong. Doesn't yeah, yeah. Perspective exactly. It wrong, exactly. Right? It's, so, it's, yeah. and that's what, you know, I don't, I don't like how, and this is a, a pop culture issue, a political thing that's happening right now where like we're being identified by subgroups. And I do not think that the veteran group should be looked at as we are a homogenous group of people. We think, look, talk, and act the same. We, we don't. I mean, you want to see the most diverse place in the world? Go to Jacksonville, North Carolina. Go on to a, like Applebee's. Go to Applebee's <laughs> on a Tuesday night, right? And you'll have people from, from all over the place. And we, but but to, to take all that diversity and then to just say we're either hero or victim is not reflective of our community at all. No, because I don't, I don't know any veterans that legitimately think they're a hero or describe themselves that way. And even, if they, even, even Medal of Honor winners and if they do, say that. They're, right? No, they wouldn't. No, especially no. especially them. But if they do, then they're usually on the outcast, on the outskirts. They're, they're of, the 10% of the veteran community. Yeah. That, that, those guys. Yeah, right? and right? I mean, that's going to be true about any big group of people. You're going to have a lot of really great, amazing people, and then you're going to have some people that are dirtbags. And, and I, I don't think anyone, anyone that I know would consider themselves a victim. And I've got plenty of friends that are amputees, um, all kinds of yeah. problems um, yeah. from their, their time in the service. But they'll all acknowledge that they volunteered. Right. You know, that was another thing that was discussed on a previous episode was the, the big difference between us and, let's say, the, the mentality of somebody who was drafted into Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Right? They didn't ask for that. Right. They may have been 100% opposed to the military, the war, everything, and are told, you're going to go do it anyway. Yeah. I'd not might consider myself a victim if yeah. I came back without a leg from from that. Yeah, absolutely. Volunteered for yeah, it. in our that's not our case. Yeah, in our generation, everybody's no. volunteered. Right. You know, so you can't say I'm a victim. Yeah, you can have things wrong with you from your service mm-hmm. and, and that, but you know what? Construction workers can have stuff wrong with them. Yeah, I'm working in that field too. Dude, six and, it's a choice. Six and ten people have have had trauma in their life. The other four have experienced it's, somebody it's on who the way. has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it's, it's on the way. It's on the way. But I mean, to to further elaborate on your point about like controlling the veteran narrative, why we think that's important is that okay, if pop culture. If or if people who don't really know veterans think the fifty percent are victim or fifty percent are hero, you know, pop culture bubbles up and the entertainment industry paints veterans as either one of two things. If you pay attention to movies, mm-hmm. there's never a middle of the road, you know, guy Just from Wisconsin, regular guy, regular doing, guy doing his thing, doing his thing yeah. because that doesn't sell. That's not entertaining. So it's either like, you know, they 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 commit these feats of strength or courage that are you know, when it's a true story, it's amazing. But then when you they, they fantasize it a little bit more, I think it further, further solidifies in people's brains that veteran, hero, or to the alternative, they do a great job of hi- highlighting the veteran homeless problem. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the two images that people see repeatedly. And if that's all you see, that's all you're going to believe about a certain group of people. And so to control the narrative or to shape the narrative or to push – the narrative forward that there's more people like us and all of our great members of the VBC just in southeastern North Carolina. We haven't even touched them all spread throughout the rest yeah. of the country. It's incalculable. We can make such a huge impact. So we need to be the ones saying it what comes down we to are. Just, just telling the stories. Yeah. Telling everybody's stories. Yep. Um, and that's what's fun about this mm-hmm. is, is just hearing how people got to where they're at and why and um, and hearing that, yeah, they're just regular people trying yeah. to figure out how to provide for their families yep. and not go insane doing it. Yeah. Just like my dad did and everybody else, you know. Um, 
No, very good points. But I want to I want to shift the conversation a little bit. So okay. you're a podcast host, yeah, um, and you're you're always interviewing people, and and you're the guy that's always got to guide the discussion and, mm-hmm. and keep everybody on topic and that sort of thing. Um, I'd like to have this be an opportunity for me to kind of interview Rob. Okay, who's Rob? Okay, I don't think you get the opportunity to just talk about Rob much. I did because you're, you're always talking about everybody else. Yeah, I did. They've got going on. It, it, it's right. It's so funny you say that, man. Because when we because when we started, you know, the first early episodes of Signal Fire Radio, you go listen to them. I'm like, man, I'm talking way too much. Like, you know, TK will remember. Like, he produced the ver- the the first couple of episodes. I like I would dominate a conversation sometimes. Sometimes, and as I listened, I was like, "No, this isn't this isn't about me at all. I can't talk nearly this much. Right, right. Ask questions, be quiet, feed the machine. Right, you know, yeah. because there's a there's a subtle art to it. Really art is to it without making yourself the the focal. Point. Yeah. Well, let's make Rob the focal. Okay, point today. fine, man. You let's know, do I it. hate attention. I, I know you do. I don't want. You it. hate talking clearly. <laughs> Especially in public settings. And I know. And everything. I know. It's just the worst. I need a whiteboard. I'll draw. I can see your anxiety level. It's through the roof, yeah. man. It's yeah. through the roof. Do you want to take a breath? Matt said breathing helps. Well, you know, we did episode with. He told with, me about it. It yeah. does. Well, with Bernadette Solar, yeah. Dave Solar's you wife. Do you like a dirty dog or something? Yeah, whatever, we did. Whatever they call it. <laughs> we did yoga. We did yoga in here. Know, and it was yeah. like, I don't remember. I don't think Matt or I said another eight to ten words for the rest of the episode. We were just chill the whole time. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it gets if it gets too intense, you let me know. I'll let you know. We'll do a yoga timeout. We, I, we need a safe word. Do a yoga timeout. Yeah. We want it to be. <laughs> it's just a safe word. I don't know. Point uh, break. Yeah. Point break. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's go with the bod- bodhisattva. That'll be the that'll All be right. the code right. word. So, who's Rob? So, like, let's start with, um, you know, you're in the military. Mm-hmm. You got out of the military. Lived in Atlanta. You were in uh, sales, yeah, advertising, yeah. media kind of stuff, right? You worked for the Braves. Yep. You also worked for another big company, Assurance. Right? Yeah, Assurant. I went back to work for the in the insurance industry. Yeah, and then and then you did a huge pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, what three years ago? Yeah, I guess we're going into our third going year. Into it'll, your be, third it'll be three year years now. this August. Yeah, you decided. Yeah. You wanted to be a, a business owner, uh-huh. and you packed up, left Atlanta, yep. came to Wilmington, North Carolina, and opened yep. a State Farm agency. Yep. What was that decision process like for you? How did how did you arrive at that being the next step for you mm. in your journey? It was a big, it was a big one, and that's just such a good question, Chase, because I think about it a lot. And Jen and I've been going over it in our heads recently too, as well. So, yeah, we had Jenna was born and raised in Atlanta, right? So all her friends, all her family, everything she knew was within the metro Atlanta area. I had been there. My dad retired from the Marines in 96, and so we moved there so he could fly for Lockheed. He flew the C-130J. He was the chief test pilot there. And then left, did the Marine Corps thing, came back. So I considered Atlanta, Georgia home. Um, and uh, and I got so tired of it. I got so t- Jenna did too. It was like the city grew so exponentially that our lives became about we would we would commute forty five minutes a day to an hour uh, one way right. to our offices. We'd work all day and then we'd commute another hour or so back home. And then my last six years when I was with Assurant, I was traveling like crazy. So on the outside, and I've told this story many times. On the outside, it looked like I had we had everything. Like mm-hmm. we were we had a great house, beautiful semi-custom house that, that we built. 
um, in an awesome neighborhood. Girls going to private schools. You know, I got the great corporate job. Jenna's a nurse practitioner. She changes lives every single day. But we had absolutely what we felt zero impact on the world or on our community because we were we were one in six million. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we needed Jen and I need that kind of like emotional paycheck, like where we can feel and see what it is that we're doing has sort of a force multiplier around an area. Um, and so that was a big part of it. And and add on to that, that our lifestyle was just, it wasn't good, man. We would work, you know, we'd consume all the daylight hours driving, working in an office and then driving back or being on an airplane and then driving back. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekends, it was like, okay, we have all these errands to do. And then Monday we wake up and we do that cycle all over again. Yeah. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is money wasn't a, wasn't an issue. You were making tons of money. Your your kids were in private schools and all that, but you just never had time as a family. For yeah, anything. yeah, yeah. And and like like you're using your weekends to do like household chores yeah. and stuff, right? Like yeah. a lot of people do. They get stuck in that cycle of like you're 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 just you're in the rat race Monday mm-hmm. through Friday, and Saturday comes, and instead of being able to take a breath, it's yeah. like oh, I finally have time to like do laundry. Yeah. Right, and, you, and so you spend your day off <laughs> mowing the grass, doing laundry. Yeah, and, and, and so that sounds like you just, you guys just got tired of this it. Is over that, it. Just you're completely just like, over it. We yeah, don't we do this anymore. We wanted the lifestyle change for sure, and that was what that was probably what drove the choice the most. Was now did that drive the choice of the the change in geography or the change in profession or both? Like, how did you decide? Yeah, business. Yeah, I mean, moving is is a thing too, but like. How did how did you decide on both of those things? Like, hey, we should be in Wilmington yeah. instead of Atlanta. Yeah. Instead of like, I don't know, why not Macon, Georgia yeah. or some other place down there? Well, geography was a big piece of it because we knew, Jen and I knew every time we traveled to Wilmington or we traveled to the coast, we felt better. Like we physically felt better. Okay. As far as stress and anxiety and all that stuff, like for us. Beach is just more relaxed. When we get to, yeah, if we're coming down Lumina or, uh, you know, over the bridge into Wrightsville Beach, as soon as we park the car and we get out and we sort of feel that, that you know, ocean wind hits you and you hear the sounds and, and you smell uh, the sea salt and everything, we just. Dude, I want to go to the beach right now. I know, man, but we can feel it. We can, because you know, Jenna, with her profession, kind of has gotten me very in tune with, with how I feel, legit. And I think all women do that to us <laughs> in some capacity, but, but I'm, I'm conscious to it. So when I get there, I could just feel like the heart rate slow and the anxiety sort of drop down a little bit. And we're like, okay, if we feel that when we're there, let's just put ourselves there all the time. Mm-hmm. Why, why do this as a treat to ourselves? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it's like, okay, let's let's go to the geography number Instead one. Instead of making a vacation spot, let's just live there. Let's just make it home. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just make it home. Other people do. Why the hell can't we? Um so that was number one. And then employment was certainly a big one. And Jenna's a nurse practitioner, skills are are universal. She could go anywhere in the world and be gainfully employed. So um we knew that she could be like the anchor of our household for an amount of time. I have uh, I don't want to say I have an issue with authority, but I but you have an issue with a authority. little bit of an issue with authority. I think you do, Rob. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard stories about you. They're legend. Yeah, they are legend. <laughs> well, I I kind of realized like my what I was doing for the company I was working for. It felt more like I was trying to chase a title. You know, like I just wanted that next level up because I thought the higher up the, the ladder I go, the more happiness it would bring me. And I grew extremely quick with that company. And I had a, a – you're, you're putting your identity into your 
your job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. You were and, whatever your new job title was. Yeah. That's where you derived your meaning from. Yep, exactly. And exactly. you found out it was hollow. Yeah. And I, I, I got everything that I thought I wanted from it, and it still just something was missing. And, and I realized, you know, you can't, you can't get a higher title other than owner. It's like, no, it's, that's mine. Yeah. Like, literally the buck stops here. Yeah. That cliche gets said a lot, <laughs> yeah. but literally, like, it it's, does. It does. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I can just skip the line, and I can go get the most important title. And, and I could just open my own business. And then when you, when you get into it, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's all these other opportunities, these other markets I could fill. So I can give myself the same good feeling that I had when I decided to own the other one, knowing it's a big risk and you've got to weigh those calculations. But I can be an owner of something else and then something else and mm-hmm. then something else. And if you're smart and you're strategic about it, like I am hopefully am being, it, the proof is still yet to be seen – but, you know, you can establish a whole portfolio of supportive businesses and be the owner of all of them, but, but then impact multiple lives at the community level is what, is what makes it all worth its time. So that, that's a great explanation of why you chose to go into business for yourself. Yeah. How did you choose insurance as your first business? Um, I, this was a lesson I learned while I was at Assurance. <clears throat> and Assurance is a huge global insurance company. They had like, you know, five or six different lines of business, one in automotive, one in life insurance, which is where I worked. Um, they had cell phones, you know, like the, the mobile, mobile phone insurance, and then a few others. Some of them are escaping me, a warranty business. Well, Assurance Inc. up at the top would borrow money from the more successful companies, the more stable companies, and they would move it over to these other areas to help infuse it with capital that was needed to grow because they had a bigger upshot with some of those other companies. And the life insurance company that I worked for, I would listen to it on every earnings call and read it in the, in the K-1s. It, it was They always looked at it as this is our most stable block of business. We can guarantee that it'll grow at 7% year over year, even in a volatile interest rate market where interest rates are next to nothing. And when interest rates are low, insurance companies have a harder time making money. So I was there for six years, and I heard them say this. And so that, I think, really informed my thinking in going, I'm going to open an insurance agency because it's a, it's a product and a service. Because of the stability. Right, the stability. There's not a lot of stability when it comes to business, and it sounds like you found an area where there is some. It's a good core business to have, I think. Yeah. You know, and then I can make riskier plays like, uh, let's see if we can develop a, mo- a market for podcasters in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's just a, a stable business. And I know that if I put the right people around me, a good team, I train them, I develop them, I share my vision with them, I teach them how to be good stewards of the community and provide excellent sales and customer service, that we can bank on growth year over year over year on that. Um, and that would be the core business in the family of businesses. So in the last two and a half or so years of being in the insurance business, you had to start, you had no customers, mm-hmm. you started from zero. Yep. Um, you didn't buy an agency that's been existing or take one over. You started at zero. Yep. Um, and it was you and your wife plugging away. Yeah. Trying to figure it out. Um, what were some of the things that like caught you off guard? Like, struggles that you've had <laughs> that I didn't know anything about the insurance industry <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of a big one I, I mean yeah well you know it's funny because as you're going through the interviewing process like you know they want to see they want to see that you have sales leadership experience I certainly had that mm-hmm. and then 
and then me being in um, with Assurant, I, I felt like that gave me a leg up on paper. But my job was so different, so different than what it means to own an insurance agency. Like okay. I would – I had – you know, with the stroke of the pen, I had 5,000 agents that reported to me in, a, in an indirect line. And so if we needed to move sales, we would always talk about buying our way out of it. You know, you lead with the carrot, you follow with the stick. And almost every time we put a carrot out for 5,000 people, we would accomplish the goal. When you, when you shrink that down to you only have you and maybe one or two other people – it's it's very hard to move that quickly because you just don't have those those that scalability built into yeah, it. The, the assets, right? Yeah, nothing. <clears throat> you don't have the resources. You don't have anything. You know, so that was a part of it. I went into it probably a little bit too sure of myself as a sales leader, because the other part was is that I had I, I had no experience with the property and casualty insurance industry. Okay, I was with life insurance. Uh, my my basically my whole career a little bit of health but I knew absolutely nothing about what what most people shop for which is auto insurance or homeowners mm-hmm. insurance and so I had no I had no experience there I was in a market that I didn't know anybody because we moved here from Atlanta and we opened a business with no customers and I got met with a full headwind when I had realized that those were things I didn't really per, uh, uh, foresee before we decided to come up here. So once once we had that, though, I was like, well, we're here now. Right. Like, we got to fight our way through it. And that's when I got real active on social media. Okay. Was right around that time because I was like, nobody knows me. I need people to know me. Mm-hmm. So where, if I look out and I look around at the competitive industry, because I have a story to tell. I'm a veteran. I care I, I want to provide really good sales and service to people, and I feel like on, on the majority I do. Sincerely, authentically, I want to do that. Um, and, and those are good things about me, and I like them, and I cherish them, and I think it's okay to like things about yourself. So I was like, how do I tell this to more people where nobody else is doing it? And that's when I was like LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Rich Cardona and I got together, and he's like, dude – you know, I'm going to help you do this. And I'm like, let's go for it. And so like we blasted it out. And and I feel like every meaningful relationship that I have in this town is because it started on social media, you and me, Mm -hmm. me and Matt. Um, There's so many that I could go through that it's like our first engagement with each other was online. And then look at all this amazing stuff that's happening. But that wasn't part of your original plan. That was in response to friction points, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you were to, if you were to go back in time, three years, and do it all over again, mm-hmm. um, would you have still picked insurance? Yeah. I think so? I wouldn't change a thing, man. No? I wouldn't change a thing. Would no. you have approached it in a different manner? Maybe, but I'm I'm so historically a person who has to like kind of scrape his knees a little bit before I finally get it. I respond really well when I feel that pressure. Yeah, we and with Shane, we talked about that on his, his episode. You know, uh, the Marine Corps taught us pain retains. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we're all just... Sometimes you just need to feel a little pain to really yeah. drive the point home. <laughs> maybe we're just <laughs> neurologically rewired that way, you know, because we all went through such a similar training experience and all that. I, that would be fascinating to, to have a long conversation on with somebody who understands brain science because there's probably something to it. And my wife and I, we get in, you know, tiffs every once in a while because she knows what's coming. She's like, hey, dummy, you're not seeing all of these things. And if you did and you could avoid them, it would it would remove some obstacles and you will feel less pain in the future. And you know what I do every time? March right into all of it 
<laughs> you know, get some bumps and bruises, but feel like I really learned something from it. And then, and then found a way to change a few things, implement some new processes, create some new disciplines around it, and then grow even further from that point. Mm-hmm. And I just wouldn't change it. I just wouldn't. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't change any of, your, any of your initial approaches or strategy? Everything's... No, I've had some... I mean, I, I probably wish I had... Was there, were there places you'd spent money that you wouldn't... Oh, yeah. Now, time? yes. Yes. A hundred percent. you invest in some sort of yeah, marketing okay. where you're like, yeah. damn, that thank was you for remind, Thank that. you for reminding me of that because, you know, I think this is an important time to talk about intuition and gut instinct. And as I was going through training, like everybody told me, everybody told me that um, women aged 35 to 54 are going to be the ones who make the insurance buying decision for a household. Okay. And, and, and that might be true, but the question I never failed I, – I failed to ask myself was like, dude, are you going to resonate with women 35 to 54 in Wilmington, North Carolina? I never stopped to ask myself that question. Mm-hmm. But what I did was I spent tens of thousands of dollars in areas that proclaimed to, to reach women 35 to 54. And I, and I made some good relationships from it. I didn't make a ton, not nearly enough for me to get my money back. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I made my money back in spades was uh, doing video, putting it on LinkedIn, opening myself up as a military veteran who was not afraid to talk about my transition experience and was not afraid to talk about my, my growth in business on a daily basis and and not and just really not afraid to put myself out there each and every day because so, that brought me real relationships, long term relationships. So what I'm hearing is you you spent tens of thousands of dollars going after a market segment that really wasn't a good target market for you. Yeah. And once you realized that, you shifted mm-hmm. and you went more for the veteran community, people that can relate to you, right? And that will have speed of trust with you because of your veteran background. Yeah. Um, that changed things significantly. Okay. And I think that's why the VBC is so genius. And, and I commend you for having the idea, and I'm jealous that I didn't, but th- that's neither here nor there. You know, when, when you can immediately walk up to somebody and have some level of trust, think about the speed in which that moves business forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, we're, if, if, if we are doing that on an owner-to-owner level, um, and we have kind of some, some shared, you know, principles and beliefs, like just because you served in the military doesn't make you a good person. So there's a, certainly a vetting process to that. Um, and then I'm going to give you all the benefit of the doubt until you prove otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, you know, I expect you, at least this is, this is an expectation I have. I expect you to maintain the standard for yourself and everybody around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you verify all of that, you can move so fast in business and in life, and that's what I like about the VBC because that puts me in front of all those people who I, I probably can sum up you know, in a short amount of time if they're going to have those things and if we're going to be able to like, do something together. Right, and they're owners. They're yeah. the decision makers. Right, exactly. They're the it's one that can sign a policy. Literally the buck stops there, right? Yep. So it's like, okay, I've, I've, I've gotten through all the gatekeepers – I've kind of um, reduced the level of noise, you know, the, the, the marketing noise that's out there. And I've just gone straight to a market that I think – that I know I can help um, but I, I think will resonate with me. 
And um, and that made such a massive impact. I can I can draw it back to October 11th, 2020 was uh, when I had that first Suiting Warriors event at my office. Yep. That, that that was the date for me where all of a sudden, like the seven months of investment of putting stuff on LinkedIn constantly, it was that date where things really kind of started to take off. And I can draw things back to that day with a straight line in a lot of ways. Very cool. Yeah. So insurance is going good now? Yeah. It's getting better. Getting better? I'm, I'm constantly underwhelmed. That's, we I, all are. I think that's my fatal flaw. I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just um, – and I'm not pessimistic. That's not it. I just always kind of want a little bit more, you know, and a little you, faster, probably. and a little faster. I, yeah. I'm I'm actually pretty patient, honestly. You do not strike me as a super I, patient I, guy. I I do so have, elaborate on your do, on your patience <laughs> that are not apparent on the surface. I do have some patience. Like I'm very very patient with people. I'm really patient with people. Where I know people in my industry that will bring somebody on and fire them a week or a week and a half later, and and to me, I can't. I can't abide by that because I know how hard it was for me to learn the industry. Mm-hmm. So to bring a, you know, a young college kid in or a single mom or somebody and say, look, and to immediately judge them and yeah, say, you can't hack it. Right. You can't, you can't hack this because I've given you a week and a half when it took me 11 years to learn the industry. That's not fair to people. Right. That's not fair at all. So I'm extremely patient with, with developing people because I think it's so much, it's a better investment to, stick with somebody six months, nine months, a year past the point where everybody said, what are you doing with this person? And pour yourself into them every day and teach them something new and encourage them to, you know, reach areas that they didn't think possible for themselves and push them, challenge them for sure, to Mm -hmm. be better versions of themselves. That'll pay off a whole lot more than going through a hundred people trying to find the perfect person. So, I say the in- insurance industry, the insurance business is going better because I finally found that like team of people that I can do that with. Because personality certainly is a, is a plays a part in that, but you also need to have a culture, set a culture, and those people need to buy into the culture. Mm-hmm. And once that happens, it's like we can move mountains. Like right. there's nothing we can't do now yeah. because we have a team of people who are together, who share in the vision who get excited for each other's wins, you know, and who kind of push each other forward. So I don't always have to be the one pulling from the front, you know? So you started two, two major businesses, businesses within like a year of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're a couple of years into both of them. If you look back on what your life was like in Atlanta compared to what your life is like now, mm-hmm. are you happier? Um, yeah, I'm I'm a lot happier. I miss my family. I'd like to get them all up here. There's there's people who I miss in Atlanta. Okay. Um and uh, but you know, you have cell phones, you have social media. There's no replacement for walking up to somebody you love and just giving them a big hug right. and spending some time with them, you know. I certainly miss that. Is the quality of my life better overall? 100%. 100%. And and honestly, I'm I've made less than I've ever made in the last like 3 years, and mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. That's okay because I can see – I can start to see out now what's yet to come 
because we've we've just done so much to you know pour a concrete foundation here and try to build a skyscraper on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, overall quality of life is better. Even though like there's some of those metrics where you're like, are you sure you sure your life's really better? You're not irritated about this? And I'm like, it's in the back of my head. Yeah, it's in the back of my head. I would like to experience. Do you have, do you have moments where you're like, man, it'd be really nice to be making that kind of money again. And do you ever find yourself like thinking? Ah, uh, you know, like I could go do that for a while. Yeah, maybe you know. I don't know. I don't ever the coffers. It doesn't ever. And that that mind. doesn't. No. I would never go back to work for somebody no. else. No, I couldn't do it again. There's not a chance. No. There's okay. not a chance. Sorry, y'all, <laughs> for for who are thinking you might have a have a crack at this guy. It's not going to happen. I can never go back to work for somebody. Um, but there are certainly times where I'm like, man, it would be really great if I could contribute what I was to the household um, again. Mm-hmm. And I love having that feeling, and Jen is so supportive of me because she knows that feeling drives me. Mm-hmm. You know, like nothing – you have to motivate yourself. If you're going to be in the entrepreneurship game, you have to be one hell of a good self-motivator. Mm-hmm. You also have to lie to yourself a lot that everything's going to be okay <laughs> and that if you just put your head down and you keep working, you're going to get through Faith. it. Faith. Faith and hope, right? Faith, Faith. and hope. And, and, and when doubt – and pessimism start to creep in a little bit, you have to be able to use that to motivate you further. How do you do that? Instead of being consumed by it. How, how, would you, how would you explain that to somebody that struggles with that? I'd like how to... Do you, how do you turn that pessimism and doubt into, into motivation? And yeah, yeah. Man, I think lifestyle plays a huge part in it. Um, I mean, you and I have traveled together. You see me wake up in the morning and do yoga in the sunshine, you know, with just my boxer briefs on. Like, if I don't do that, if I don't center myself, sorry to put that out there, everybody. You know, Chase is like, I didn't want you guys to know that, that we did that together. Well, there, there were foot rubs after <laughs> and other things, too. But. If, you, if you, I believe that there's freedom in discipline. And so anytime I feel myself, like, feeling doubtful or discouraged or something, I just try to rediscipline myself by, you know, like, uh, at the beginning of this year, you and I talked about it. I've gone so tight on my calendar. It's like my calendar is is usually scheduled down to the hour to hour and a half. And it starts at 4.30 in the morning. It's wake up, go to the gym, get the girls prepared for school. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah. Because I've done that to myself, and it affected my life in so many negative ways. Really? It was, it, yeah. So I had a point where... I was going. I was going to graduate school, double full time mm-hmm. workload, to save GI Bill for other things. Right. Yeah. And so I took a twenty four month graduate program, and I did it in twelve. Okay. And at the same time, I was working a double full time job yeah. at the Raider Training Center. Yeah. Where I would work sometimes sixteen hours a day, and I was on the road. Yep. And sometimes it was forty days with no days off, plus the school. Mm. And then I also had two businesses that I was trying to build up on right. the side as right. well. And so, like you, I found myself like every minute was accounted for, mm-hmm. and I was you know staying up late to do schoolwork, and yeah. I was getting up extra early to do schoolwork before I had to be at work at six for that you know those commitments, yeah. And so there wasn't an extra minute anywhere in the schedule. What I found happening was life still happens, yeah, but I didn't have any room, any white space to accommodate all the things in life that still happen. Yeah. And so I wasn't able to respond well to things. So like if I had to take the dog to the vet, it was yeah. like a catastrophe. Yeah. You couldn't, yeah. I, didn't I have, can't move anything. I yeah. didn't have an hour and a half to go drive my dog to the vet. And yeah. Be there and deal with it. Right. Like 
something with my with my daughter happened. Like there was no time for anything mm-hmm. that wasn't scheduled like way out. Yeah. Um, to the point where I would even ignore phone calls from people, and I would think to myself, "Oh, they'll just understand because they know how busy I yeah. am." Yeah. And, and people don't know what you're doing. Well, they do, and they're okay <laughs> with it for a for a period of time. Yeah. But then six months of yeah not picking up the phone and not being available, people start to get like. They don't care anymore that yeah. you're busy. Now they feel neglected. Right. You know, and they right. feel that you just don't care about them, even though, like, hey, man, like, I've called six times. You haven't answered. Yeah. And I started to I started to feel stress in relationships with friends that I've had for years mm-hmm. uh, and with family members because there was zero flexibility. Yeah. Because I was just, I had put so much on my plate that I just I couldn't flex for anything. Yeah. No, even the weekends were ate up. It's 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 a, it, you bring up such an amazing point because I felt exactly like you felt probably 2 or 3 months ago and my decision to schedule things down to the minute also came with decisions to let some things that were very important to me go. It, like like shooting like warriors, warriors. Right? like I'm no longer the president of shooting warriors. I I I couldn't give any more to anything else. I mm-hmm. needed there were things that I needed to focus on. And yeah. since I decided to do that, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the results of it. Like my relationship with my kids and wife is the most important thing in the world to me. None of the other business stuff matters if that right. isn't good. Right. So like my mornings are dedicated to them and I don't bring my laptop home. So my evenings are dedicated to them. So, you know, I'm compressing work into a certain amount of time but then blocking time for what's important to me. You know, yeah. I stopped texting poor Matt and Evan at 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock in the morning because I'm up working. That's not fair to anybody else. Like I should, I should focus that time on myself and then get ready to focus that time on my family. Mm-hmm. And that had to come with letting things go. Yeah. So, so you find yourself a bit overwhelmed. And just like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of this out of my schedule. Though. See, and that was yeah. hard for me to do because yeah. I don't like telling people I can't do something. Right. You know, like I really don't, especially if the cause is really meaningful to me um, and I feel passionate about it and I get genuine joy from it. It's hard for me to tell people no um, and, and to say I can't do this anymore because I don't – it feels to me like quitting sometimes. And I know that's yeah. probably irrational, but um, – but, you know, what I've learned from that little lesson is that you got to let go of a few things so that, that other things can grow. you got to trim away, you know, uh, the dying Every, limb. Everything can't be a, a priority. Yeah, you're right. It can't. It you can't. have no priorities. Yeah. There. Yeah. You know? you everything's can, important. Nothing's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I just tried to prioritize those things by time. Like I want my wife and kids to have the most of it where they can. And they know I have responsibilities. They know I have – I sign checks. That's the other thing about being an owner is that you have to put your name on the paycheck. And if you really give a shit about the people that work for you, you show up and do the work too as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's another motivator. You ask me like how do you get through those periods of doubt? It's like I'm not doing this just for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have a, a role in people's ability to put food on their own tables. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to show up and do that. Um, but I don't remember where the heck we were going with that. Oh, with, with, with priorita- prioritization, like if you've got four things, you can prioritize four things. Each of them are just going to be weighted a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So I did that. I picked those four things. I was like family, State Farm, Signal Fire, VBC. Those are the four things I really want to focus more on in 2022. And there's different percentages of each, and those percentages get allocated that amount of time towards it. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel a lot more freedom since I've done that. And I feel awesome. like I'm more productive too. Yeah, I I learned uh, I learned that the hard way, um, and hopefully I don't do that to myself again. But I think I'm going to. Uh, I think we're gluttons for punishment. Yeah, sometimes in a yeah. lot of ways. Uh, my wife has told me that 
if you don't have enough going on, you become unproductive. Like yeah. she's like, if you're not constantly stressed yeah. with a million things to do, you become stagnant. Yeah. So she'll be like, you should just go get another degree or something or start another <laughs> business right now because I'm seeing too much of you. Yeah. You're like, go go get busy again. <laughs> so I get that from her. So I'll probably overload myself again at some point. Yeah. And feel the pain, but um, I'm I'm enjoying uh, being able to take time to do this. Yeah. This right? is like, fun. This isn't paying me. Yeah. Everything that the, everybody that's involved with the VBC works for free. Yeah. You know, it's a hundred percent volunteer. The VBC podcast time that I put into doing this. I'm, I'm happy that I have this four hour block on a Thursday that I can come into the studio and right. have these conversations and tell member stories. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have that flexibility, you know, if I had to punch a clock, Yeah. you know, somewhere. So yeah. I am grateful for that right now, and I, I hope I can continue to maintain it. But I think we're getting close to our time here. Yeah, man. Speaking of scheduling uh, yourself down to an hour, well, I, mean, I got a plane to I catch. Can, I can continue <laughs> to roll this conversation you know, further, but I think you've got travel plans. Well, I do, we do. Uh, I'm going to go hug that family that I haven't seen in a long time. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to go to Atlanta. I'm going to go with Jenna, and I'm going to go see some people that I haven't seen in a while. Cause awesome. It, it, when, you, when you, make time, you make time for what's important, right? Yeah. So I need to go do that. So before we go, I've got two yep. last questions okay. for you. Um, one piece of advice that you can leave on the table for okay. listeners, and it can be in relation to anything. Mm. I don't care. Mm. One piece of advice. Yep, on anything. Mm. Golly, then man. Then you have to be something we talked about today. Yeah. Uh, what's Rob's one? My one piece of one advice. word of wisdom that Just, you're going to leave with everybody. It's, it's, you put me on the spot, so it's going to yeah. sound cliche, but um, tr- trust your instinct and truly, truly go with your gut. Pay attention that, you know, they call the gut the first brain because there's more nerve endings there than there are in like our actual brain. And so when you feel that, I think it might be stress or tension or when you feel like you have an idea that's just down here, listen to that and go with it and find ways to be creative to fix the many hurdles and obstacles that will come as a, as a part of it. It's, it's dangerous. It's risky. But good Lord, is it rewarding. So Solid. Yeah. I like it. No, oh, it was okay coming up with it on the spot? Always, always, always. Nervous, man. We didn't have to do yoga yet, so (laughs) that's all right. All right, the last last thing, and Uh then you can go get on your airplane. Um, Book recommendation. Book recommendation. Ooh, man. Um, I'm reading. I'm reading Traction right now, which Mm -hmm. is a good read. I think um, that's come up previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Traction's on my list, but I, I always like to read a military history book too, as well. Um, I try to the way I try to do books is I'll do one that's like you know for personal personal growth, mm-hmm. and then I'll switch over and I'll do like a, a American history or a military history. Um, and I I just read uh, I just read the um, the Eagle's Claw, which is about the battle for Midway. By mm-hmm. by Jeff Shahara, okay, um, and I I think Chase, it's important, you know, like you and I have have dropped the military shtick for the most part. You know, you see those when you're in the military, you carry yourself a certain way, you act a certain way, and then you see those guys that just don't quite let it go. You know, mm-hmm. they, they still keep the the high and tight or the horseshoe haircut or stuff like that. Um, but no matter which of those camps you fall into, we have to understand our history. We have to know our history because there's so many principled lessons about value systems and beliefs and honor and courage and all that stuff that, that we love about being in the military or having served. And so I recommend, I like staying in that and I like hearing those older stories of people. And I didn't really know the whole battle of Midway, 
there was a lot of luck involved in it, but there were some badass dudes that were taking some big risks. Right. So when you read about that, it's just I think it's encouraging. It motivates you a little bit to to Very keep cool. going from people who've actually done it. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for Dude, coming in. Thank you. It was you. good to hear uh, you know, some of the struggles Rob's faced over the last few years. It's just growth, man. It's his, just growth. Yeah. You know, that's what that's how people learn though, man. They hear from they hear from others who've gone first. Yeah. You know, and it's not all glitz and glamour. Yeah. As we'd like You're to right. Say. No, it's not. Nobody's an overnight success because there's so much work that went into the one night that people started to recognize you. They mm-hmm. don't see all those sleepless nights ahead of it. So Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, brother. Have fun in Atlanta. Yep. Give lots of hugs. I will. And we'll see you soon. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you, man. Later. Thanks for checking out the VBC Podcast. I am State Farm Agent Rob Renz, and I want to help you get to a better place. Visit us online at ilminsurance.com. That's ilminsurance.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.